Hello, and welcome to the King James Gossip, fan-sided's Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. I'm Doug Patrick, and on the other line is Joe Brett. How you doing, Joe? I'm good, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm doing too well. So on today's pod, we're going to be talking about Hassan Whiteside and whether or not he should become a Cavalier. We're going to be talking about whether or not K-Love is a top five player of the East. Then we're going to be discussing the schedule on both the Cavs and the NBA side. And then we're going to be discussing the new Cavs acquisition, Isaiah Taylor, a little bit at the end. So do you want to get this all started with Hassan Whiteside, Doug? Yeah, that sounds perfect. So just to start off, this whole Hassan Whiteside business is just a rumor. It's from uh, Greg Schwartz from Bleacher Report. He put out a couple ideas of trade ideas for the Cavs to go all in on. Uh, if you're at all interested, check out Greg Schwartz's article. So the idea with getting Hassan Whiteside would be trading Kyle Korver and Tristan Thompson to add, you know, like another star big man to the front court. It would be Kevin Love and Hassan Whiteside, which kind of sounds like a rebounding machine to me. Yeah, definitely. I think that combination would be um, beautiful on both sides from defensive side with Hassan Whiteside throwing shots all the way into the third row. And then on the offensive side of the ball, Kevin Love in the post destroying smaller men. Yeah, so they'd basically be working as a tandem. Love making his money on the offensive side of the ball and Whiteside taking care of the defense. So, and I think that makes sense because Whiteside's always been a good defender. Recently, actually, one of our contributors at King James Gospel, Quentin Alberti, wrote about how Whiteside last year made opponents shoot 9.1 percentage points worse uh, than their average when they are within six feet of the basket. So, you know, he really, really does lock down the paint. And, you know, the Cavs desperately need a rim protector. Last year, Kevin Love was playing center, and he's he's no rim protector at all, Joe. Yeah, I think that's definitely one thing that he would add. Um, he's extremely good when it comes to off-ball defense. And see, I think this is one of the key points when it comes to Whiteside. It's the same thing with Anthony Davis. They're very good when it comes to off-ball defense. So I'm talking when the point guard is um, driving to the hoop, beats his man, Whiteside or Davis comes out of nowhere and swats it all the way out of the court. However, when it comes to actual on-ball defense, of course, both of them are extremely good, but they're not as good as people think they are. They're a little bit overrated at on-ball defense, and that comes especially with their length and their height. Obviously, movement is an issue. And so I think they're a little bit overstated on the defensive side of the ball. They can definitely lock down a defense because of their ability to defend off the ball. And they can completely stop people coming to the rim. Oh, it's all about having the defensive anchor. I think that's very in vogue right now in the NBA. Yes. But what do you what do you think about Hassan Whiteside's offensive potential? I think it's kind of at a point now where he's getting inefficient. So I think he's definitely, as I just talked about, a player that can affect the defensive side of the ball. However, anything anything um, on the offensive side of the ball is a, is a positive and isn't really necessarily um, necessary. And I think, obviously, with his mid-range shots, he's not great at them. He's shooting 34.7%. Um, between 10 feet to three last year, and then 38.6% the year before. So I think his offensive game is getting to a point now in um, Miami where he's not exactly helping the team. He's Obviously, he's getting buckets, but he's getting them in a less efficient way than other people could. Yeah, and 
last year Miami's offense was better when he sat. They were actually about like five points better when he was on the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's something that kind of scares me about Hassan Whiteside coming over to the Cavs is the Cavs have been a high powered offense ever since Coach Lou took over. That's I think that's his MO. We talked a little bit on the last podcast about Coach Lou's MO, and I, I think he wants high powered gunslinging offense all the time. And it worries me to bring in a defensive anchor type player who wants those kinds of star touches. You know, that that was kind of why he got disgruntled in Miami is because he wanted to be the center of the future. And then they drafted Bam Adebayo, uh, 14th pick last year. And then they also brought in Kelly Olynyk, who stretches the floor better, gives them a better offensive ceiling for their cutters like Goran Dragic and, you know, even gives Dion Waiter some space. So that's the thing that scares me with Whiteside on the court. You're a lot more positive on Whiteside. We talked a little bit before the podcast that you're more of a Whiteside lover than I am. I'm very apprehensive about bringing Whiteside over. So what what would you say to someone like me? Yeah, I think he showed um, in his history, you mentioned that he can be a disgruntled member of the locker room. However, we discussed with some of the other writers at King James Gospel. He has gone from member of the G League to member of the NBA to G League And now he's a star in the NBA. And so I think that kind of effort really shows. And I think he has the potential to get even better, even though he seems to have plateaued and even got worse in this last season. So I think although his mental space could be something that's an issue, it could also be a major positive. Yeah, I get that 100%. and And you just mentioned the G League part of it any kind of criticism about Whiteside is coming underneath the part that he worked his ass off to get into this league. You know, he, he was a G league player. He was out of league for two years. He is a good rotational starter player right now. So I think, you know, no matter what any sort of criticism comes over Whiteside, people should remember that he has that part of his character, at least on lock where he's someone who will work hard. He's someone who will develop. Yeah. We're definitely not saying that he is not a member of the NBA or anything like that. On my side, I'm just saying that should he be the offensive star that Miami seemed to make of him? Yeah, and he he's definitely not that offensive star, but I, I think he thinks he is. You know, that that's always been the problem with Whiteside is that mm-hmm. his perception of himself is different from the reality of the type of player he is. He's got that Dwight Howard fugue kind of thing going on where he wants the post touches, he wants the mid-range shots, but I don't know if that's necessarily where he's most valuable. He's got the Willie Colley Stein shooting threes effect. <laughs> yeah. You know what's actually funny is I I did a little bit of research before we recorded this, and Whiteside last year, he took two threes all last year, hit both of them. So he's a hundred percent three point shooter in my eyes. If you so he could really stretch the floor. But yeah, so I guess like overall, my feelings on Whiteside are similar to that of my feelings on like the Demarcus Cousins signing with the Warriors. So Cousins obviously got hurt last year. Uh, and then had to take the mid-level exception with the Warriors and broke the league. But besides that, the the Warriors are perfect for Cousins because he has, just like Whiteside, locker room issues. He's also a super productive player, more so than Whiteside. Obviously, Cousins is the better player out of the two. But both of them have similarities in that sort of way. With the Warriors, he knows exactly his role, DeMarcus Cousins does. He's going to be a key part in winning a title for that team. He's not the star player. He's probably not even the third option. I think Klay Thompson's probably still a third option, even with a totally healthy Cousins. He's going to know his role as the third, fourth, maybe even fifth option. Definitely agreed. So 
that's perfect for Cousins to come over onto a new team, have that layout perfect for him. With Whiteside, I think if Whiteside was going to the Rockets or the Celtics, he would understand he's the big man. He's helping them win the championship or at least get there. And I think that would help some of his disgruntledness as far as getting touches, as far as being the kind of player that he thinks he is. With the Cavs, though, what's he going to think after going from a team that I believe the Miami Heat were the, what were they, the sixth seed last year? That sounds about right. So the Miami Heat were the sixth seed last year, and you know he had a part in getting them there. And he's going to be looking over at this Cavs team who is already projected to win about 30 games next year. They lost LeBron. They had to muscle their way into the fourth seed barely. Don't you think he's going to think of himself as the second option? And in an even worse world, don't you think he looks at himself as the better player between him and Love? I think it could be so toxic if... Whiteside thinks he's the first option coming over to this Cavs team. They just traded their old misfit talent for me and Kyle Korver and Tristan Thompson. I'm going to bring this team up, or at least I'm going to get more touches than I did in Miami. Yeah, I think that could definitely be an issue with Whiteside. However, I just think he has so much potential on the defensive side of the ball. He's one of, in my opinion, between him and Rudy Gobert, uh, some of the best defensive big men in the league. Even Clint Capella doesn't necessarily have that same effect. It's a moment when the point guard has the ball, he drives to the hoop, he sees Hassan Whiteside, realizes he will not be able to make that shot because he's there, and passes the ball out. Or could, although Clint Capella has the um, stats, I don't necessarily know if he has that same prestige in the NBA. And so there's very few players in the in the league that have that prestige and he's one of them on a general note i don't know if the Cavs are that team that he can go to and he can be that defensive star however i think he is that defensive star now and somebody in the nba has got to take a chance on him because i don't think the heat want him now yeah but do you really think the Cavs are like the best place for like the best team to be taking a shot on Whiteside. I I just I just don't think they're the right they're the right squad for him. I think if you told me this last year that there was a chance that we could get Whiteside, I'd be all about it. I think him with LeBron, like just tearing down the defensive side side of the ball, not having to worry about that side so much anymore. You've got a way taller guy in there than Thompson. Uh in Quentin's same article, he talks about how Thompson allowed opposing players to shoot 4.3 percentage above their regular season uh, shooting six feet from the rim. So, you know, Whiteside would definitely help on that side of the ball on a championship contender where you're worrying about piece by piece. How are we going to match up against the best the best teams? You know, how are we going to match up against the Celtics? How are we going to match up against the Warriors? But I think when you're looking at a team like the Cavs, I just can't help but feel someone like Thompson, who's a hard worker, knows his role and really, really does his job well, which is a rebounder who can defend on the perimeter when he has to. And I think that's really healthy for a young locker room to see a professional like that, as opposed to potentially getting a guy like Whiteside where maybe he's moping in the locker room and it divides everything. And I I just don't want to see that happen. I guess to finish up the talk on Whiteside, what do you think a season with Whiteside looks like? How many games do they win with Whiteside over a team with Kyle Korver and Tristan Thompson. Yeah, so I think the over-under right now um, is 30.5 from a Vegas odds maker. Jeff Sherman. 
Jeff Sherman, yeah. I think we could win around 40, maybe, if you're lucky. If nothing if nothing happens, K-Love doesn't get injured, Colin Sexton plays well, George Hill knows his role, maybe you get to 40. What do you think? I think Whiteside is a lateral move. I don't think he adds... Maybe he adds one win. Maybe he takes away one win if he gets mopey like he did in Miami. I just think... You know, you're getting rid of shooting with Corver. He's all-time great shooter. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think there's not enough emphasis being put on that. Like you're trading a, a legendary shooter. Granted, he's going to be 38 next year. I totally understand that. That maybe he's washed up, and maybe we shouldn't think of Corver as an all-time great shooter anymore. But he's a great locker room guy too. Exactly. He's got a lot of things going for him. And on top of that, I just wonder how much is Whiteside adding to the Cavs that Thompson doesn't already give them. Mm-hmm. Whiteside's going to be making more money than Thompson would be. Granted, Thompson is on contract for an extra year than Whiteside is. Whiteside has that player option in the second year. But I just think with Whiteside, you're hoping that he gets rebounds, can score when he has to, and gets blocks. That's the one thing that he brings that Thompson doesn't bring. Thompson can get points when he has to, although I hate watching him fumble the ball in the restricted area. It <laughs> makes me cringe. Yep. But he does get rebounds. He does not block the way Whiteside does. Although, you know, Thompson is like 6'9", probably 6'8", and Whiteside's a legitimate seven-footer. Yeah, I think Whiteside also um, has more offensive game. Yeah. what Tristan Thompson's little hook shot is pretty awful to watch, in my opinion. <laughs> Every time he tries it, I cringe, compared to Hassan, where I cringe a little bit less. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Very fair. That's really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about... A comparison between a great offensive player to another mediocre offensive player. We're talking about two mediocre offensive player and a little bit better offensive player. Yeah, that's very fair. I guess to end the conversation, Joe, do you still want Whiteside on this team, even if it comes at the cost of Corver and Thompson? I think you've actually swayed me. I don't think I do. I think the... Yes! <laughs> I think... Especially the Kyle Corver trade. Kyle adds a lot of um, value besides his actual value on the court. Um, he doesn't need to be playing to be teaching guys how to shoot. He doesn't need to be playing to um, help guys with their th- free throw form. He's like a coach without him being hired as a coach. I think that is definitely a positive from keeping Kyle. Great. Let's, uh, let's move on. The next conversation is about K-Love and whether or not he's going to be a top five player in the East. Um, So what do you think? Yeah, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. It was funny. We actually both kind of just took for granted that Kevin Love is a, I think you even said Kevin Love is a top five player in the East and didn't question you about it because first thing that came to mind was people like Aaron Gordon. And I was like, well, he's probably (laughs) as good or better than Aaron Gordon. He's obviously not better than Giannis. And that's about where my mind stopped. And then we started talking about this a little bit more before recording this podcast and I'm not so sure Kevin Love is a top five player in the East. I I honestly think he probably ranks more towards 10th and we'll start talking a little more about that. But even just talking about the Celtics, just that team, mm-hmm. their five potential starters might all be better than Kevin Love. I mean, they've got Kyrie Irving, obviously better than Kevin Love. Gordon Hayward, that's also probably not a conversation. Al Horford might still not be a conversation with how versatile... I I think Al Horford is. You think so? We can talk more about that. Yeah. I I think definitely it becomes more of a conversation with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They are totally different positional players also. Yeah. But we can get more into that. 
anyways, that's where this whole conversation basically erupted, though, was we had mentioned Kevin Love being a top five player, took that for granted. And then the moment we started thinking a little bit harder about it, it became tough to really consider him in that level. So I guess the best way to start this conversation is just to talk about all the guys that we kind of came up with in the East who could be considered stars and who should be in this conversation of the top players in the East. So there's Kemba Walker, there's Aaron Gordon, Giannis, Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond. I guess you could say Reggie Jackson. I'm not so sure uh, about that one, but you're going. <laughs> I, I think they consider themselves a big three. Blake, they Andre, and Reggie. Themselves that. I don't know if the rest of the league does. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie might consider himself that. Blake doesn't. Uh, Reggie does. <laughs> and then there's Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, D'Angelo Russell, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Victor Oladipo, Miles Turner, and then uh, Lowry Markinen of the Bulls. The way I tried to figure this out was I put like all these guys in different kinds of tiers. So in the top tier, you got guys like Giannis and Kawhi and Oladipo. In, the, in a tier I'm calling good, I have guys like Griffin, John Wall, Bradley Beal. Uh, and then in the third tier is kind of where I have Kevin Love. So he's where I'm kind of ranking him between... Kevin Love, Aaron Gordon, Andre Drummond, Kyle Lowry. I don't think I would put him in this third tier last year, but I think he's kind of on the downswing. He's he's in his 30s. He'll give more of the offense to Kawhi this year. Exactly. And then below those guys, I have guys like Miles Turner, Larry Markinen, uh, Jalen Brown. And then in my meh category, all by himself is Reggie Jackson. So This is really just a Reggie Jackson deep pod, <laughs> A little bit, it? yeah. Well, could, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I I kind of think Love is more of the 10th best player in the East. What do you think? I think it really depends on how he ends up playing, whether or not he becomes that Minnesota Kevin Love again. If he does, I can see him not necessarily in that top category, just because one of the things that we don't talk about Kevin, about Kevin Love is that we know how he plays with other players. A player like Giannis, for example, we don't we don't necessarily know how he's going to play with another great star. Um, Oladipo obviously um, turned out when he was in OKC that he did not play very well when he was with Westbrook. Um, obviously, we haven't seen it since he took the leap. But even Kyrie, for example, we know that he plays at star level in the NBA Finals. Game 7, he hits that shot. We've seen it and we know it. Kevin Love, for example... We know that when it comes to the NBA Finals, he isn't going to be that elite guy that takes that shot. So I think that's one of the things we have to remind ourselves when it comes to Kevin Love. However, I could see somebody thinking maybe we can get a different kind of Kevin Love and trading for him. Yeah, it's it's the difference between Love being the complimentary third, second option that he has been for the last four years and being the primary option like he was when he was in Minnesota. And it's it's so hard to know if he's going to be able to rekindle what he had with the Timberwolves. I mean, that was four years ago, and he's a totally different kind of person now, just body-wise, uh, injury-wise even. So it, it's so unpredictable and up in the air about what kind of Kevin Love are you going to get. But I think I think the easiest way to sort of, I guess, conceptualize where Kevin Love ranks in the NBA or in the East 
is to rank him between the other big guys in the East because it's so hard to compare him to guys like Kyrie, two guys like Victor Oladipo because they're just playing such different positions. Yeah, I kind of laid him out between what I thought were like the five big men who play a similar type of position as him, which are himself, Blake Griffin, Joel Embiid, Andre Drummond, and Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. I think of these five, I think it goes like this. Number one is Embiid. Number two is Blake Griffin, although there's always an asterisk there because he'll probably just get hurt again. Yep. Number three is Kevin Love. Probably should be an asterisk there too. <laughs> of course. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Number four is Aaron Gordon. Number five is Andre Drummond. So I think I, I'm easily could see him turning out to be the second best four or five in the league. And of course, Al Horford has to be in there too. I think Al Horford's above Aaron Gordon, I guess. Yeah, I think he's definitely not going to touch Embiid. Embiid is no elite level. I think Embiid could go for an MVP season this year. If I mean, if everything goes full for Embiid, he is that kind of talent. And I think Griffin's on a downslope. I don't necessarily see him being that elite level player that he was. I think basically where we are right now is Griffin is on a downslope and Kevin Love could definitely see an upslope. So I think they're at that meeting point where... I personally think Kevin Love is going to be better than Blake Griffin this season, but we don't know until we see it. Whoa, that's... Joe, I think we need to unpack that. You think Kevin Love's going to be better than Blake Griffin next season? Yeah, I think so. I think he's just way more versatile. The thing with Blake Griffin is the conversation is going to be we need to make Blake Griffin a playmaker. Sure. But that's been the conversation for the last three years. Yeah. And so I think Kevin Love, on the other hand, knows what he's going to do. He knows that he's going to get switches, get smaller guys in the post, go get buckets. And then when he gets bigger guys on him, he's going to run around some screens and get a three-point shot. Kevin Love knows his game, and Blake doesn't necessarily know how his game fits with Detroit yet. That's fair. I can understand what you're saying there. I think Blake Griffin is literally the most 3.5 out of like any sort of person. He's a small power forward, you know, like he's both of those positions. Exactly. And... You know, he's on the wing, but is he? He pulls up for threes, but should he be, you know, shoving himself into the paint? I still think Blake Griffin is the better player out of the two. I think, though, Blake Griffin is way more injury prone, although I do believe that we're we're getting ready for another big Blake Griffin season. It's been too long since he's been in the spotlight. I just I just think Motor City. (laughs) But will it happen, though? That's the question. I don't. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen again. Yeah, that's very fair. Well, okay, so as far as Kevin Love, like where he ranks in the East, biggest reason why I wanted to ask this too is just talent in the NBA wins. I think that's sort of a a catch-all phrase is just the most talented teams win or who has the most talented player, they will win the series. So it's I think this is an exercise that is very important to really figure out if the Cavs are going to be a team that's in contention for the playoffs or a team that's bottom feeding and will eventually be tanking. Yeah, see, that's interesting because um, although I think Love is a better player or will be this season, let's say um, it won't happen because of the way that positioning in the East. But let's just say that Detroit and Cleveland are in a um, playoff series against each other. I think Griffin's the best player in that series, if that makes sense. Although Love is going to have the better season, if it's game seven, I'm picking Griffin. I see what you're saying. If he's if he's healthy, I still think he's been there and done that. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. It's it's the difference between the, the regular season teams and the contenders. So 
Toronto Raptors are the perfect, you know, regular season story, and then they can't win the playoffs. You're sort of paralleling Love as being a regular season player, but maybe not necessarily the kind of player who can carry a team by himself in the first round of playoffs. Yeah, we've never seen Kevin Love carry a team. Ever. Like, in the playoffs. Like, that's, that's not a thing we've seen. And so, I don't think he is that kind of player. I think he's the he's a system player. He's not going to be the guy that screams to get the ball and then goes to the paint and gets buckets. He's going to be the one that, if the play isn't called, he's just kind of standing in the corner. And I think when you're talking about best players, you want somebody who is going to scream at the other guys if he doesn't get the ball. You want a player that in the in the finals is going to tell Coach Lou, yeah, fine, and then go on the court and tell his guys, give me the ball, which is what LeBron did. Yeah. And so... I think you want that guy instead of the Kevin Love. That's fair. Yeah. So I guess just to end this segment, unless is there anything else you want to bring up? I just want to say, um, put it out there. My list for top five in the East, or top four in the East right now is Kawhi, number one, Giannis, number two, number three, um, Embiid, and then number four is Oladipo. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We should run down our lists. So I kind of want to just do an exercise of where we will run down the best players in the East until we get to Kevin Love. So let's just go down and tell me if you think Kevin Love should be above this person, okay? Yeah. So I know you got Kawhi ahead of me. You have Kawhi ahead of me, but for me, my list is Giannis, number one, Kawhi, number two, Oladipo. Then we've Um, got... Yeah. Then we've got Embiid. This is in no real particular order. My first two, though, were in an order. I want to say that I do think Giannis is the better player in the East right now. That's a take. Take it to the bank. But for the, after that, no particular order. Giannis, Kawhi, Oladipo, Embiid, Kyrie, John Wall, Kemba Walker, I Ben Simmons. Be, I think he could be better than John Wall. Okay. That's fair. It's, it's hard to say, too, because it's just such a different position. But, yeah, John Wall's a... A weird sort of teeter tottering person. He's either he's either he's either really really great. He's either distributing the ball and making lots of buckets, or he's feuding with Marcin Gortat and destroying the Wizards at the seams and taking bad threes. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay, I can I can get with you there. It depends on the type of season John Wall is going to have. I think Bradley Beal is starting to become a better player than John Wall. I um, think I think he already is. Yeah, I think give the ball to Bradley Beal, trade John Wall. But that's for my wizard's sake. So, okay. So there's a little bit of a, a conversation about Wall versus um, Love. There's a conversation about Griffin versus Love, although I think we disagree on that. Mm-hmm. And then Hayward is definitely a better player than Kevin Love, I think. Definitely. Tatum is yet to be seen. I think it's too hard to talk about him. He's only had that one year. Kyle Lowry, it's it's to be seen with how he fits within this new team with Kawhi Leonard instead of DeMar DeRozan, depending on what sort of role Lowry is going to have as he gets up there in age love versus Andre Drummond. Love is probably the better player there. Loves the player that you want to build around over Andre Drummond. Drummond's Mm -hmm. more of a complimentary player. He's a perfect defensive anchor. He can finish Drummond. Yeah. Drummond is the guy that the Celtics go get not saying that they will, but I'm saying um, in the past, they've had a history of going out and getting that final piece like um, Kevin Garnett. I think he's the type of player that a team is going to go and say, we want that defensive anchor, come and finish our system up. But he's definitely not the kind of player that is going to be building around. And he's hard to build around. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's sort of where the conversation is, is 
Love is better than Drummond, about as good as Gordon, Aaron Gordon. And it's a question with John Wall. I think he's still better than Miles Turner. He's definitely better right now than Laurie Markkinen. We didn't even mention Kristaps Porzingis, probably just because oh, he's injured, didn't yeah. enter the mind. Mm-hmm. But, you know, depends on how Kristaps comes back. He's I definitely, Kristaps is definitely in the top tier of this yeah. sort of conversation. Kristaps is definitely better than Kevin Love. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And then, yeah, Laurie Markkinen, he will be better than Kevin Love, I think, in two, three, four years. Not right now. Jalen Brown. I love Jalen Brown, but I will. What's up? Lowry being better than Kevin Love? Yeah, I think, yeah, within a couple years, without a doubt. Hmm, I'm not sure. Kevin Love really? put up numbers in Minnesota. Obviously, okay, he yeah. didn't, obviously didn't win. But, I mean, we're talking You're about right. a guy who has a NBA championship and has multiple all-star appearances played for team USA. I'm going to stick by that though. I do think, I think Lowry Markkinen can be really good. And I I really like Lowry. At the very, okay, maybe, maybe I stretched it. Maybe he's not going to definitely be better than Kevin Love. I think though, Lowry Markkinen is going to be a better three-point shooter. I think he's going to be a better, not a better rebounder. Kevin Love's definitely going to be the better rebounder out of them. Mm -hmm. But for right now, Love is definitely better than Lowry Markkinen. To be seen if... Uh, Offensive side, I can see Larry being better. Yeah, me too. Um, and then just mm-hmm. moving on from there, uh, Jalen Brown, love Jalen Brown. I do... It's yet to be seen if he's a system player or if he's as good as he is in a vacuum as he is with the Celtics. We'll never know that, I don't think. I could see him staying a Celtic for life. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have Jalen Brown in the Cavs. But that's a pipe dream. He's... <laughs> yeah, he's a great player. <laughs> we would have to give up all the team for him. <laughs> But yeah, so I guess what we're saying is that love, it's its tough to really quantify him in the East. It seemed really easy to put him in the top five, even to the top eight. And then once we started thinking about it, it gets kind of dicey to make that sort of assertion. Yeah, I definitely think he's probably definitely top 15, probably top 10. That's my take. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. Let's uh let's move on to NBA schedule. Just some notes on the entire league. Shams um tweeted a few days ago that there are no game there are no four games in five nights. Back to backs are at a historic low. The average is thirteen point three per team. And just a note, the Cavs will be playing fourteen back to backs, including four home road sets. Um, three home home sets and five road road sets. Sets. So. I, as we were talking about before the pod, you have some takes about the NBA schedule, I hear. Yeah, so it's really just Christmas Day. I think, okay. I just think it's so dumb that the Lakers are playing the Warriors on Christmas Day. I get it, LeBron versus the Warriors, and other people have even made the point like, well, that's pretty much what it was when he was on the Cavs. It was LeBron versus the Warriors, so you might as well just do the same thing again. But I just think that's so uninteresting. That's your Twitter troll. Voice. Yeah, that's my Twitter troll voice. <laughs> but yeah, like I just think there's way more fruitful games to be had. Why not Rockets versus Warriors? Why not Lakers versus Cavs? I think that would be a beautiful homecoming game for LeBron to go to Cleveland on Christmas Day with his new team. Because it seems like a lot of people, mm-hmm. even in Cleveland, are, you know, they're not happy that LeBron left, but they understand his decision. They want to see him do well. There's much better reception when he left. When he left, the exactly. First time. Much and better. I, I don't know. I just yeah. have like 
I just have a problem with the Lakers versus Warriors. I get why it's there. And, you know, the obvious reason is LeBron versus the Warriors. <clears throat> and then Trailblazers versus Jazz. I also like that matchup. That's fine. But, you know, why are the Raptors not in there? And I, I just I just don't know necessarily how many people are super interested in seeing Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum versus Donovan Mitchell so much as I would be more excited about seeing the Trailblazers take on the New Orleans Pelicans, who they just got swept by. I just think there is such better games to be had, especially that Lakers-Warriors game. I just have a problem with that. I think I really think the Cavs deserve to be in that Christmas Day game. They were just in the finals, and I get LeBron is Cleveland in that sort of context, mm-hmm. but I, I think you've got to give them their due. I, I really, really do. Yeah, so just to run through the games, um, the Bucks are playing the Knicks. That's the first game. Yeah. Um, and then the 3 p.m. game, OKC versus Rockets. 5.30, Sixers versus Celtics. 8 p.m., Lakers versus Warriors. And then we have the, um, as talked about, Trailblazers versus Jazz game. The first Knicks versus Bucks game, I really like that. We have two um, unicorns playing against each other. In Giannis and um, Porzingis. That's always a fun matchup. The OKC and the Rockets, that's where my first issue stands. Rockets should be playing the Warriors. Yeah. The NBA needs to come to terms with the fact that the Rockets versus the Warriors is the most exciting game that we have. They were the first ones to push them since 2016 Cavs. Yeah, the Cavs didn't. The Cavs didn't push them. (laughs) We got swept. Yeah. In game one, they pushed them. That's it. Yeah. The Rockets were... There was... ESPN headlines every day after it was 3-2. Are the Warriors falling apart? Is KD going to leave? It was a huge story. I I don't know why the NBA isn't running with it. Yeah, and I think um, I like the Celtics Sixers game. That's that's fun. Yeah, um, that's that's a great game. That's perfect. Yeah, and then Trailblazers Jazz. I don't really have an issue with it. It's the end of the night, ten thirty. I'm very glad Donovan Mitchell is getting some prime time i I love donovan mitchell yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and they have a lot more um they have a lot more national tv games this um this year as well jazz do so just go just to go back to the um the Cavs. we open up in toronto and it's not national tv which is interesting because um that's the first time since lebron has left that our um our opening game hasn't been in the queue on national tv so obviously things change when you don't have LeBron. Yeah. No, it's and gonna then, be a it's gonna be a harsh like reality check <laughs> this next season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a harsh reality check when we're losing a random game in December and we don't come back and win. <laughs> yeah. Like usually you're used to LeBron. We're down ten. You're like, oh, don't worry. LeBron will turn it on in the fourth quarter. No, we'll just lose by 15. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then our home opener is against the Hawks um, October 21st. That's a winnable game. Definitely. (laughs) If you're going to buy tickets, go to that one. (laughs) I was listening to um, SI's Open Floor podcast, and somebody wrote in saying that the Hawks are kind of like the Walmart Warriors with Trey Young being Steph Curry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they have the they have a ex Warriors GM in charge there. Oh, I don't know about GM, but exec. They have a um, ex Warriors exec 
um, as the GM in um, Atlanta. So I can see what they're trying to do there. Yeah. And then we only have seven national TV games for the Cavs. So Wasn't it 39 last year? 30, it was in the 30s, right? Yeah, it was definitely in the 30s. And there's not going to be as much coverage. It's not going to be the same that we've had for the last four years. We've really got spoiled. And just from living in Cleveland, I think the the public knows the public knows what LeBron did, and um, we're all pretty thankful for it. Yeah, there's there's no more bad blood, I, I don't think. I remember when he first left, my dad being like, I'm swearing off the NBA. I'm never, <laughs> you know, I'm never watching another game yeah. again. And yeah. this time, wasn't even a conversation, didn't even get brought up. You know, just, oh, LeBron's mm-hmm. in LA. So, yeah, that's yeah. A, a cooler part of it. And... I'm really, really excited for that first Lakers-Cavs game. I think that's going to be so fun. Mm-hmm. It, it's Did it get scheduled yet? Yeah, so the um, Lakers game is on the 21st of um, November. And from my vibe of Cleveland, there's going to be a lot of thank you LeBron signs and that kind of thing. I even had a conversation at a barbershop the other day where they were talking that about keeping the LeBron poster. Yeah. And, and I was saying maybe not until he leaves the league. But the general vibe from Cleveland that I'm getting is people are thankful for what he's done for us. And um, there's not as much bad blood, definitely, as when he left the first time. No, not at all. So just to finish up with the schedule, the longest homestand is five games. And this is actually a um, key. It's five games over 15 days. So that's home for for the players. That's home for 15 days and you only have five games. That's basically a break for them. Yeah. That's a lot of practice time and it's in it's through the All-Star break, so that's part of the reason that it's 15 days. But um it starts February 11th and February 25th. That's quite a stretch and it's in the middle of February, so it's going to give players like Colin Sexton and even Jetty Osman even though he's not a rookie, that will still be the first year where he's getting significant minutes every game it'll give them a good rest it'll be cool to like check in around that time especially when that homestand begins and ends just to see how the team looks and if there is any sort of difference when they come back after february yeah definitely and then one of the things that i always enjoy um is the road trip the longest road trip we have um it spans six games over 11 days obviously it's to the west coast um we usually have a road trip at some point over the West Coast over a significant number of days in the season. This one is going to be New Orleans on the 9th, Houston on the 11th, Lakers on the 13th, Portland on the 16th, Utah on the 18th, and Denver on the 19th. And that's all in January, by the way. So um, I think those those road trips are incredibly hard for the players. That's a lot of tough teams, too. Yeah, it's not easy. You're going to the West, so... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a lineup. All mm-hmm. those teams are top eight in the West, you know, and that's saying a lot <laughs> if they're going to be playoff yeah. teams in the West. There's a definite chance that we lose every single one of those games, I think. Um, <laughs> Without a doubt. I mean, Denver's the easiest game on there, and Denver's a tough out, yeah. We might be able to grab Portland because we have a few ga- a few days after the Lakers and a few days before the Jazz, so that's kind of intersection. We might be able to go and grab that game, but rest of them are going to be rough. The next thing we wanted to talk about was the recent signing of Isaiah Taylor and um and how that relates to Scoochie Smith. We one of our site experts um Quentin Alberti recently wrote a really good article on that 
in Kim James Gospel. So I um, fully recommend go give that a look. Um, so it all started with Shams tweeting, as it usually does, the Cleveland Cavs and God Isaiah Taylor have agreed to a one-year deal. Um, league sources tell Yahoo the Cavs have looked to add another point guard over the last a week, which is interesting because um, if you ask any of us um, at King James Gospel, we had a discussion about it. We don't necessarily think they needed another point guard. So quite an interesting signing that they made. Yeah, I, I just can't help but feel that the sign doesn't really mean anything. I mean, how many touches is Isaiah Taylor really going to get on the Cavs? They already have to develop Colin Sexton. George Hill's going to probably be getting heavy minutes. I've seen uh, on a Sam Amico article that George Hill will probably be starting. I imagine Jordan Clarkson is probably going to eat up a lot of those point guard minutes. And then you also have to give minutes to like the two guards. You can't just say put Isaiah Taylor in there and let George Hill play the two guard because we also have guys like Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith. You know, those guys are going to have to get in there. Chetty Osman is going to have to get in there too. Rodney Hood. If we sign him. Yeah, if we sign him still. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I think Isaiah Taylor is an interesting acquisition. He, the little bit I've seen of him, he reminds me the tiniest bit of Colin Sexton. He's very fast. You know, he's going to be relying on his athleticism. He's going to have to add that three-point shot to his game. He In Atlanta, he only shot 25% from three. He shot 1.2 attempts. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine he's going to make that big of an impact. But, hey, maybe George Hill goes down and Isaiah Taylor gets a, gets backup minutes behind Colin Sexton. It could be really interesting. Yeah, I think also um, it's a we want to keep in mind that it's a non-guaranteed contract. So it's a little bit more than a camp invite. But in the in the grand scheme of things, that's what it is. He's he's coming in, um, and Scoochie Smith and Isaiah Taylor are gonna fight for those for, fight for that third um, point guard position. However, my issue with it is that we now have three point guards who are very similar in Sexton, Clarkson, and Taylor. They all three attack the rim um, using their speed. But then, really, Scoochie Smith he um, he has a solid three point shot. He's a lot more like George Hill, less of an athlete, good playmaker. Yeah, people have been excited about Scucci. Yeah, he played pretty well in summer league with Ante and Jetty Osman. So I I think he'll be interesting to see going into um, training camp, how he turns out. 100%. Yeah, so um, Chris Fedor from Cleveland.com said, according to a source familiar with the team's thinking, Taylor is committing to a, attending the Cavs training camp where he'll compete for the third guard spot. So he, he, that is exactly what I said. He's just going to be there, compete with Scucci and whichever one of them Ty Lue thinks is the better option is he's going to go with for the season. Um, however, I think that if either of them don't make the team, I hope we keep them in our system or they get a NBA job somewhere else. But if it's possible to keep them in the Canton charge, why not? Yeah, and that's pretty much all we really have to say about Scucci Smith and Isaiah Taylor. Maybe they'll turn out to be people who get some minutes. Maybe they won't. Who knows? It'll all depend on injuries. I don't necessarily think they're going to be a big part of the rotation without some sort of injury happening. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, so that's it for this podcast. We really, really uh, appreciate you guys listening in again. Uh, We just want to drop the Twitter handles in case you want to follow us on Twitter. Mine is NBA Analyst Doug. And mine is NBA. And uh, don't forget to send in questions to kjgpodcast at gmail.com. 
kjgpodcast at gmail.com. And please give us some of those five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. It helps other people find the podcast. I know when I search for the podcast, there is a ton of Bible podcasts that come up. (laughs) So let's try to get King James gossip ahead of all the gospels. Anything else you want to say, Joe? Yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter. If you have any questions, you can definitely send us an email, but also our Twitter DM boxes are wide open, so you can shoot them there too. Let us know because we're going to be doing a mailbag edition. So yeah, let us know. Awesome. Well, that's all we have for you guys. Thank you for listening.